It's time for the show that scours the globe for news that interests you. We've scoured a few other planets, too. Didn't find much. Coming to you almost live from their command center just beneath the Earth's crust, here's Jeremy Bray and Wesley Faulkner with Global Geek News. Welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast, the show that tries to answer the question, just what the heck is going on in the media, entertainment, and technology worlds. As always, I'm your host, Jeremy Bray, better known as PC Nerd 37 and on the other end of Skype is my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Things are going great. Good to be back. Yeah, it's been, oh, I guess a little over seven months, I think, since we last did a show. Yeah, almost two quarters. Yeah, pretty close to that. I For a long time there, I just had no desire to even get back into podcasting and it's just in the past maybe about two weeks that i've finally gotten the desire to start doing it again or at least do one show i don't know about going back full time yeah i know i tossed around the idea of doing a a show when the iphone 5 came out um but yeah let's but whenever either one of us gets the itch i would like to get us to get together and just talk about the stories yeah, just when I saw Windows 8 last week, it's like, okay, I finally kind of, I'm starting to miss not doing that. Because, I mean, <laughs> I, I love the direction that I've taken Global Geek News, where it's all about geek culture now and everything, and it's not really tech news at all. But at the same time, I do kind of miss being able to share my opinion and more than, without having a 140 character restriction. <laughs> yeah. I like I like to talk off the cuff too, and discussing it with someone is also different than even writing a blog post. Yeah, I, I've I was really itching to do a blog post about the whole Netflix thing this morning, but I figured nah, save it for later. This, that that just really annoyed me when I woke up to that email. Between that and yeah. the hundred other emails that I had this morning. Yeah, it freaked me out because uh, today, the 19th, was the day that my regular service or my billing cycle ended. So I thought the email was just for me <laughs> until I read it read it through it and, and then saw the news online and realized everyone got the same email that I did, which is surprising. Yeah, that, that really kind of – it's like, well, this isn't wonderful news to wake up to. But yeah, well, I, at first I didn't even realize it was a blog post. I I just thought it was just a mass emailing that went out to everybody. But uh, we have that for later on in the show. Yes. But um, oh wow, it's been so long since we've done this. I don't even remember the format of the show. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, well, let's just just hop into the first story. Yeah, that works. So. Like, wait, let me make sure. Am I looking at the right story here? Girls are not into Pirate Bay. Yeah. A bit torn. Yeah, okay, that's the right one. I, 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 <laughs> it's like, okay, this is an order looking that looks unfamiliar to me. I forgot I reordered everything. <laughs> but, yeah, I was kind of surprised when I saw this story that apparently girls aren't really into torrenting and the pirate bay and stuff like that but the more i think about it the more it makes sense because i never as much as i hear guys talking about it 
I never hear of a girl talking about torrenting anything. Well, I would say maybe the bulk of it might be the content that you usually find on BitTorrent. Uh, not if there was something there that uh, appealed more to women, maybe uh, maybe there would be more women on BitTorrent and tor and and torrenting in general. And I, I just think that's just it's just the content that is there is not found or is not applicable to, to women for the most part. Because if you look at most of the cedars, most of the cedars that I've seen are, are cliques or groups that seem to be mainly compro com comprised of men. And so that the content that they upload are, are guy centric. Yeah. I don't, I don't know the, um, trackers that I more pay attention to, which is generally not the pirate bay because their search sucks. Um, I never really pay attention to anybody's username or anything like that. I just go looking at the content itself and if that's if it's what I'm interested in. So, and most of the stuff I'm interested in, I don't see it as anything that skews towards any particular gender. A lot of it's like stuff I maybe grew up with or different sci-fi shows or whatever. It, it's not something that's like action movies or something like that or romantic comedies or whatever. But mm -hmm. I, it, I don't know. I, I, when I first saw this, I was kind of thinking maybe this is more kind of along the whole women are less technical stereotype. That that seems to kind of make the most sense to, to me when it comes to this. I, I, I know there's a lot of geeky girls out there. Uh, I would say about half the Global Geek News blog readers are women, and mm -hmm. I would say that probably a good percentage of them use BitTorrent, but just in general, I would say that's probably not the case. Um, yes, I, but I, 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 that's, a, that's a third rail I actually don't want to touch. <laughs> <laughs> but um, who knows? I mean, it could be... I mean, I'm guessing it's a question of how do they identify the the sex of the people for the study, which I don't fully understand from reading it. Yeah, apparently they just did a they were they ran a survey for a while and surveyed 75,000 people on the Pirate Bay, and from the sounds of it, they surveyed other BitTorrent sites as well, and they just and based on the responses that they got, they figured. Only about twenty to twenty-five percent of the people on the Pirate Bay, or at least the the people that replied to the survey, were women. Yeah, that's self-identifying, which means this is not really roughly uh, anywhere near scientific. Yeah, I, I would say it's probably rough numbers that are probably in the ballpark, but I certainly wouldn't call them a hundred percent accurate by any means. But just based on conversation I have with other people, I, I would say that this is probably pretty close to true. Yeah, it's hard to say. But what does this all mean? And then I just think it's just a statement of fact, actually. I'm not saying it's a fact. It's a scientific survey, but it doesn't really change anything. It doesn't uh, change life or the marketing of any of the advertisement. 
that seems to be on this site because I see I feel that most of the advertisement that I've seen on sites like the Pirate Bay are geared towards men anyway. <laughs> yeah, I generally block the ads, so I never even see those. So, you yeah. usually not always. It just kind of depends on what browser I'm in. Right, I haven't been on the Pirate Bay in a long time either. So, but it, but it, but from what I remember, it's they seem more guy focused than uh, I don't remember seeing any. Uh, female-focused f- advertisements at all. Yeah, well, and that could be why, because there's not much in the way of females that use the site. Right, but it could be like a self-fulfilling prophecy also. True. But at least they don't have to worry about class-action lawsuits. Yeah, and neither does Sony, which is good for them. Unless you fill out... Uh, you send them a letter saying, I don't want to be included in your new... I, clause that says you have to do arbitration and you have and you give up your right to class action lawsuits which i don't know it seems kind of strange to put that in there if, if i don't know if that's something that their legal team made them put in there or which i'm gonna assume they did yeah. the legal team wanted to say that um give people an out but an out that they probably wouldn't do yeah I, well i i haven't gone through and updated my firmware recently so I am still not a part of this new terms of service but apparently when I update it it'll be necessary although when I do I plan on sending a written letter to him to um, uh, where's the address 6080 Center Drive 10th floor in, in LA attention to their legal department and arbitration to tell them hey I want to maintain my right to file class action lawsuits and screw arbitration. Yeah. I, I wonder if they also... So I guess you have to do it certified letter, so they can't say, well, we never received it. I don't think you have to, but that's probably the best way to go about it. So that way you can at least get the signature and say, yeah, you got it, because so-and-so signed for it. Although, right. the, in my experience, that's not necessarily foolproof, just based on my experience with Sapphire when it comes to arming a video card when they deny all knowledge of the person that signed the package acceptance. Yeah, well, sound like we that's a sensitive subject. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the thing is with Sony, this is this does not surprise me when it comes from Sony. Um, they seem like anti-consumer for for a lot of their products, um, so this seems par for the course. For some of their posts, you know, their past offenses, like uh, we all remember the rootkit back in the day when they had a rootkit on their CDs to prevent you from copying their music. Uh, when we talk about all the firmware updates to prevent homebrew apps on their uh, PlayStation portables. Uh, when we talk about removing backwards compatibility and uh, the Linux uh, being able to install their third-party uh, OSs on their platforms, they they're, they're, they tend to be more restrictive and more anti-consumer uh, in in whatever they do. Yeah, speaking of the whole Linux thing, it wasn't until like June that I finally gave up and installed the new firmware updates and gave up Linux. Which, from my understanding, Linux is still on there. I just can't get to it. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I finally caved. After, what was that, a year or more? Something like that? 
Yeah. But, yeah, I, I think this whole thing is just kind of a knee-jerk reaction to the whole Sony getting compromised for both the PlayStation Network and their curiosity services. I think this is just their way of saying, it's like, okay, please don't sue us if something else happens in the future. Or at least they don't want to have some gigantic class action lawsuit if something like that happens. Which, usually in class action lawsuits, the only one that really runs away with any money is the lawyers anyway. Yeah, definitely. On either side. Yeah. Yeah, so I I really don't think it would be that big a deal if it was a class action suit, but... Apparently they think it would be. I think they. I guess they would rather deal with people individually instead of all at once. So. Yeah, and they would. They would rather have people put in the work to bring a suit against Sony, also instead of uh, just joining in to and leveraging the work of others, which is also in its way in a, in a way a deterrent. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully everybody will send them a letter and maintain their right to class action lawsuits and say, screw arbitration. Yeah. I'm surprised someone hasn't put up a site where you can just type in your name and address and then hit send. It actually prints out and sends you a letter, sends you a letter for you. I I can see maybe doing something where you can, where it'll give you the letter to print out, but I don't think there'll be any sites that'll automatically send it for you just because I would think that would be kind of expensive. It could be, but I've seen other sites do it uh, for legislation to talk. It says, you know, what city are you in? What's your address? And finds your legislator, and it actually sends them a message for you on your behalf for certain types of legislation. Yes, yeah, I, I do that all the time through um, uh, what's it called? Demand progress for different things, but it just does email. It doesn't do regular mail. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe I'm just confused. Maybe it's, uh, yeah, send your congressman an email. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, like with Demand Progress, they'll usually give you a link and they'll set it up as to where, and it's really nice for in the future, it'll automatically know kind of where you are and then send whatever form email they have to the congressman saying you support this, you don't support that or whatever, and occasionally they'll give you phone numbers and stuff too. But I I don't think I've ever really seen any congressman that actually writes back and gives anything more than just a generic reply. They'll usually say, oh, yes, I'm interested in this issue, and that's kind of about it. Yeah. Um, one issue that I'm uh, terribly, 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 terribly... Um, uh, involved with and think is very important is the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a big one for me, too. I'm always sending emails that I'm sure fall on deaf ears when it comes to the congressman about that. But, yeah. Yeah, apparently there's a lawyer, which I'm sure probably isn't the only lawyer, that thinks we need to wipe out anonymous speech online. Yes, they want to basically... Um, if they feel that it's defaming or negative in nature to either what uh, unmask the person who said it or to remove it from the from the internet, which I don't even know how that's even possible. Yeah, I, well, I would assume they're probably thinking of just some like content management system where you can go in and click delete on a person's comment or whatever. Yes, that doesn't delete it from the internet. <laughs> yeah, I. I 
I don't this doing stuff like that is not particularly stuff I mess with. I mean, if there's somebody that's just like a complete troll that's in the comments on Global Geek News or whatever that's just all kinds of profanity or whatever, I'll usually just click delete or something like that. But generally speaking, I prefer to leave stuff like that alone because if memory serves, once you start screwing with stuff like that, you mm-hmm. waive your safe harbor rights and then you can open yourself up to be sued. True, but even if you delete it, uh, it doesn't necessarily delete it from all the cache servers out there, um, all the servers that uh, when delivering the packets, uh, those are not initially wiped. Uh, and, I mean, especially in the age of we have the Internet Archive, uh, who knows who's taking snapshots of, you know, a point in time of when your what your page would look like and store it on their cell on, on on their own servers. I mean, look how many times things have been posted like like an iPhone case for the iPhone five and then re- immediately pulled off the web seconds after it's posted. But that's long enough for people to start blogging about it. I mean, that happens all the time. So even if you quote unquote delete something from the internet, it's you, there's no way to guarantee it's deleted from the internet. I think that's one of the things that this lawyer probably doesn't really understand like a lot of people. Right. I mean, I I have a habit of all the time I'll go through, and if there's an article that I think has a chance of being deleted or I want to be able to quickly find it for later or something like that, I'll just do a save page as and keep a copy of it on my computer. Because mm-hmm. there's been way too many times when I've just bookmarked something go back later to the bookmark and it's gone yeah and that's one of those things that just really annoys me so anymore a lot of times i'll just do i'll probably bookmark it too but i'll do a save page as just to keep a copy of something just in case but yeah apparently from the sounds of it this lawyer peter bachner is i guess from the sounds of it his whole motivation behind this was that his daughter was supposedly a brief somebody in the web 2.0 world or whatever and I guess there were some blog posts or blog comments or whatever that were critical of her or whatever she was doing and he kind of has overreacted to it from the sounds of it yeah that's what happens in the web and also I mean it does there are some negative trolls out there who um, who will try to tear people down but also it's the same anonymity that allows things like um, people to speak out against China uh, allows um, protests in other countries to overthrow uh, regimes that are uh, controlling and uh, are removing the rights from from uh, their their citizens uh, it's the same anonymity that allows 4chan to happen, in which really, really bad stuff happens and some really creative stuff happens at the same time. Some people might not agree with some of the like anonymous stuff, you know, the, the group anonymous, but some people are really for it. Um, there's some really beautiful things that come from uh, from the web, and there's really awful things, which just simulates life and uh I don't think you can just legislate, legislate that away. I think that anonymity on the internet is probably the biggest blessing and curse that the internet's ever had. I mean, mm-hmm. for all the great things that come out from 
anonymity, all the great comments, all the great things that get posted online or whatever. On the flip side, you always have those trolls. Like you can pretty much go to any YouTube video and see kind of <laughs> like the scum of the internet. But yeah, I it's I think it's still something that needs to be protected. It's not something I generally use on a regular basis. I mean, no matter what I say or where I say it or whatever, I pretty much always go as PC Nerd Thirty Seven, right, or whatever. So it, I never try and hide really who I am. And maybe I'll use some sort of like encryption or something like that. But even then, I still go with the same name and everything. So it's not like I'm trying to hide who I am or what I'm, or just because of what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. I'm the same way. I mean, I'm Wesley83 practically everywhere. Um, and so, in a way, it's not anonymous because you can always track it back to who I actually am. Um, but uh, who would determine what level is anonymous and what's not? Um, mm-hmm. Like, what if I went by a nickname that people generally know me as? What if I'm a stage performer and I have a stage name? Or what if I'm an author and I have a pen name? Uh, are, are are we not going to allow those people to participate? What about La- Lady Gaga, for instance? Mm-hmm. Is that is she on the web anonymously if she only uses the the name Lady Gaga? But everyone knows who she is. And then so who's going to be the the person to make that determination of that's not a real name or a real person or that's too anonymous? Yeah, well, that's always kind of been one of my biggest things is that I want to be PC Nerd Thirty Seven everywhere. I don't care if it's Global Geek News. I mean, there I pretty much go my. Jeremy Bray and a number of other places I've kind of started to go by my real name, but still for a lot of places I'll still go by PC Nerd 37 but a lot of times it's because I want to be PC Nerd 37 everywhere so that I don't have to worry about somebody else impersonating me, because I mean whenever mm-hmm. I go into chat rooms or whatever, like I spend a lot of time on IRC chat rooms and stuff you always get these people that will hide behind like a celebrity's username or something like that. It's like, okay, at least be kind of consistent so I know if I'm encountering you the same place here as I am somewhere else. That That's kind of like my big pet peeve. It's like, I want to know, am I dealing with the same person here as I am there, or is this just some other idiot that's using the same name? Yeah. That, that That's just kind of the way... I prefer the internet to work, and I don't think it should work that way. That's just the way I prefer it. Yeah, with the complications and what this guy's asking, there's no way that this is even going to get um, get passed. So I think, luckily, I think courts are smarter now to understand that this is not possible. Um, so we'll see how this, this goes, but I, I don't think it really has – it's going to go much of anywhere. Well, speaking of things that aren't going much of anywhere, um, Netflix, like we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. they seem to be doing a swan dive straight into the toilet. Yes. Uh, so they're spinning into two different companies, one for the DVD business. And when I say DVD, I mean movies and uh, video games, apparently. And I assume and Blu-ray Blu- is part of that as well. Right, and Blu-rays. They don't specify that. And another is the streaming business. So, so they made so September was the month to choose which you're gonna go, 
And the thing is, they made people make that choice before they made this announcement, which is really screwed up. And the people who said, you know, I support Netflix. I will not. I would not choose. I'm going to keep both because both work for me. Now they're saying, okay, now you wanted to stay with us both. Now you have to separate even, even though you wanted to stick with both services. Now you have to go to two, two different websites, even if you wanted both, which is, I think is a really raw deal. Yeah, this sounds like it's got to be the biggest hassle ever. I mean, well, and I don't understand why they're having to get they're having to like spin this off into a separate brand or company or whatever store. They're bringing in a whole other CEO to run the DVD business and whatever, which just seems kind of stupid. But there, why would you separate something that works so well in one place into two places and make people have to manage two different accounts, two different billing cycles, two different um, if you want to search for a movie, you have to search both places to find out if it's available on streaming or if it's on av- available on DVD. I yeah. this is like the worst thought through thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, and I was and, I was also and this it also makes sense of why they removed some of the queuing, like controlling your your disc queue from a lot of the Netflix software earlier, which means and and some of the the um, the, the versions of like Roku and stuff like that that had the ability to use Netflix. Mm-hmm. I think they they knew that they were going to do this, and they had it in on the on their roadmap for a while. And I think it's just a really poor way of uh, of uh, spraying this on people. Yeah, I think the way they sprang it on people in an email and a blog post just first thing in the morning. I think that was wasn't the best way to go about it. That's for sure. I think they probably should have done it when they announced the price change and given people a little bit more of a heads up that way. And one of the things that I found really insulting about Reed Hastings' email that I got this morning, that everybody got this morning if you're a Netflix customer, is that he tries to come off as really apologetic and everything, but it's like he's not making any concessions or whatever as far as he's not changing the prices back, he's not doing anything to help you it's just saying oops sorry that's it exactly and what was even worse is that they said okay we're spinning off into this quickster service but i didn't see a date and so i was like well so i had netflix or i I had netflix um, and i actually made the choice to stick with dvd only instead of the streaming where i know most people kept streaming and jump DVDs. I dumped streaming and kept DVDs. So I'm DVD only at the moment. And so when it says, oh, okay, we're spinning off to Quickster, I was like, okay, well, let me go to Quickster's website and it says coming soon. And so I was like, well, when is this actually going to happen? And and I have, I, have you seen anything about a date when this official separation is supposed to happen? No, I haven't seen anything about a date, which is kind of annoying. I haven't seen anything about a date i haven't seen anything about okay what's even going to be the official twitter account because apparently there's some pothead that has the (laughs) quickster twitter account yeah which you'd think they would come up with they'd have a little bit better planning than that I, i i don't remember who i saw this from today i was just from watching kind of the reaction on twitter and stuff but there was somebody that said it would make a whole lot more sense if they called it like Postflix or something like that. That would make <laughs> that would actually tell you that maybe this is like the postal version of Netflix instead of coming up with this weird off the wall name that you, that most people probably aren't going to be able to spell. 
Yeah, or Netflix. Um, Netflix by mail. Yeah, just do something like that. Well, yeah. separating it completely from the Netflix brand seems kind of stupid anyway. That, that just seems like a really bad business move. But I, I'm starting to wonder how much longer Reed Hastings is going to be around because in the last two months alone, Netflix has lost half of its market value. Yeah. Well, this, I hope, the only, I mean, if they come out in the next couple of days and saying we bought Hulu and we're bringing all that, conf- that uh, content into Netflix, I think that would kind of make up for it. Yeah, they're certainly in trouble. I mean, what was it, last week or two weeks ago, they are losing their deal with um, all which major content providers. Stars. Yeah, stars. And that, that's happening in, what, February or March or something like that? Something and, like that, yeah. And that's supposed to be a really large chunk of their library. Mm-hmm. Now you have... Then you have a million people leave because they change prices. Now you have this. I've got a feeling that we're going to see the demise of Netflix very soon. Yeah, and I'm still uh, and, and I'm still sticking for um, with my end of the year prediction for the complete death of Blockbuster. Well, I don't know. I mean, they just got purchased, so um, they they they're really doubling down on their streaming business. Through is it Dish or is it Directv? I forget which one. I think it's Directv. I believe Directv. Yeah, apparently. So they're gonna have their movies on their boxes for for uh, their pay per view or the on demand stuff. So um, they're actually looking like they're gonna try to redouble down their effort on that front, which actually might be effective. Yeah, I think they're probably gonna rebrand that though. I'm not sure. I think they really are putting their money on the brand name of Blockbuster. Uh, I think they'll close all the stores, rebrand it as um, DirecTV On Demand or something like that. Something that makes you more think that it's a part of DirecTV rather than a separate entity. Well, I mean, think about DirecTV coming out with their own tablet that gets their... uh, I mean, they have Slingbox, right? Uh, I think it's Walmart that owns Slingbox. No, no, it's either DirecTV or Dish Networks. They, one of them owns Slingbox. But uh, I think I think it might be um, I might it might be uh, DirecTV or uh, anyway, if they if they own both service, think about a tablet that can get stuff from your own DVR, your own local programming, and movies on demand. And they call it an entertainment tablet, and it's and the payment for that is on your monthly bill for your satellite service. Uh-huh. That would be an awesome combination. Um, so I, I think that 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 I think we're digressing from the Netflix story, but um, Echo Star is who's is who owns them. I just checked uh, Wikipedia. Okay, and Echo Star is which? Is that Dish or Directv? I think it's DirecTV. Uh, I'm checking that now, too. I think it's DirecTV, Echo Star. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Let's see here. Echo Star Communications or Corporation or whatever. Uh, looks like there are Echo Star is their own company. Yeah, but that's... Oh, fully... Yeah, but, who, but I think Echo Star owns... All of 100% of DirecTV. 
Uh, yeah. Let's see. Um, they were formerly the parent company of Dish Networks. But, Dish, but, okay. But they spun that off in December of 2007. Okay. That's what it says. And then they didn't sell the assets to the assets of, what is it? Uh, uh, yeah, here it is. They didn't sell the ashes, assets of Sling to to Dick to, to to Dish. Not that I can tell. It looks like they still own Sling Media. Huh. Okay. So. Anyway. Anyway, <laughs> that blows that out of the water. <laughs> yeah. But um, speaking of companies and how well they're doing, Apple is up seven point two percent since Steve Jobs announced his res- resignation. I'm kind of surprised by that. I am and I'm not. Um, one, Steve Jobs put a lot of things in motion before he left, of course. I mean, roadmaps take a long time to change. And to tell you the truth, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the crap that HP has done hasn't pushed people to sell HP stock and double down on Apple. Yeah, I, I, I think that it's... Mostly a case of since um, Tim Cook's been running things anyway, and he seems to be doing a really good job, that mm-hmm. they're that nobody's really lost much confidence in the company just because Steve isn't the head of things, especially when he's still a big part of the company anyway. He's done a really good jobs. Yeah, is what you said exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, I mean. He, they're all like the whole team is 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 from Jobs. The whole team put that that currently runs Apple. They were Steve's backup and they're his uh, executioners of his ideas. So it's not too surprising to see that people have faith in that team. Um, but uh, that that's all going over product and over uh, roadmaps and. Even though uh, Steve was gone for a while previously, he was still involved in setting the tone and the future of the company. And I understand that he's moving to the board of directors, but that is still a very different location or role than being CEO mm-hmm. and, and being involved in the day-to-day. And even when he was out in medical leave, he was still making decisions. Um, moving into the board, he kind of loses some of that mm-hmm. power to make some of the day-to-day decisions. So uh, we'll we'll have to see when it gets to the point when they're done with the list of things that stops that Steve Jobs says he wants to do, and it moves into the list of things um, that uh, is it Tim Cook? Sorry, mm-hmm. yeah, so th- that Tim Cook wants to do. Yeah, I I don't know. I I'm kind of it seems like that no matter what position Jobs holds officially, I don't think anybody at Apple wants to do anything that might possibly piss him off. True. I, I so I but, think that as long as that's the case, I think it's still very much his company. Yeah, but how much of that is how much uh let's do something um, that Steve wouldn't do. I mean, let's um, not do anything to piss him off. But um, what about 
let's have his vision and invent this whole thing that only can come from his mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that could be the case. But um, speaking so this is also might be a short term a short term gamble, knowing that they're going to do release the iPhone five and then they and the iPad three and then dump their stock right after that. Who knows? Could be. I I would think it would be it wouldn't be the best decision to dump the stock at this point. Right. Not now. Yeah. Or or even maybe in the next year. I don't see any particular reason for it. But, um, yeah, they seem to be doing well with iPads, and iPads seem to be doing well with students. Yeah. This uh, next story talks about a study that students with iPads score 25% better on retention tests. Uh, I'm not sure if that's because of the iPad per se or the interactive nature of uh, using a touchscreen and moving at your own pace. Yeah, I'm kind of curious i would like to see more research with this because it seems like they're just saying that it makes for a higher retention score they're not really saying anything as far as why so it's like well could it be because the way they were teaching is that with whatever textbooks on the ipad that they had that you had to go in and do like highlighting and making notes and stuff or is that because of whatever user experience is designed into that particular app that runs the textbook or what, really. Yeah. So the word they use the word iPads because they did the study with iPads, which is really, really leaning towards iPads. What if they did the same thing with the Android tablet or if they did something with a Kindle even um, or a, a Nook Color? Um, I would would love to see them not use be focusing on the word iPad and focus more on um, on whether or not interactive uh, technologies make it more effective than textbooks. Well, the problem is nobody has pretty much anything other than an iPad. I mean, there's how what was it four hundred thousand playbooks or something like that that BlackBerry has sold so far. That's or that's all I managed uh, to sell. Or maybe it was uh, even no, less that, than that. Th- that's how many they've shipped. Or not oh, they've, not they're sold. Shipped. Yeah, that's to stores. Yeah. Yeah, and then you have how many other tablets? You got like the Samsung's Galaxy Tabs and whatever. And there's plenty of competition out there, but nobody has anything other than the iPad. So there's nobody that's really focusing on development for particular uses like this on Android-based tablets. True, but um, when you're talking about a study, um, they could have controlled that. They could have controlled the medium in which they used, uh, uh, which they did the testing. Yeah, perhaps, but I I, I don't know. It seems like one of the things that would kind of come into play with that is if you get people thinking, it's like, oh, well, we can get iPads, we got these cheaper things that don't work quite as well, um, that just don't have maybe the reputation that the iPad does. So I, I think maybe that could potentially cause some problems in the study. But if you if you given them the best thing that there is out there, then I think you have the most the best chance of getting an accurate result out of the study. That I agree with. And also um 
the name recognition probably helped them funding. Saying the word iPad probably helped them with getting their their, their uh, funding from other groups that might not know what an iPad. I mean, what you know, a honeycomb tablet is, but know what an iPad is. Um, it's probably easier to find people. Um, I just would like to have this taken as a foundation of another study about interactive learning and not be so iPad centric. I mean, there's, there's ways that you can do it with like, you know, maybe, uh, uh, an HTML five, uh, version of whatever reading materials they're doing. Yeah. I would certainly like to see something that's a little more, bit more platform agnostic, but I don't know if we'll ever see that or at least not anytime soon. Maybe once we get windows eight, maybe we'll see that on some windows eight tablets or something. But, um, speaking of studies, apparently 31% of U.S. adults prefer to be reached by text message. I was kind of surprised by this. That seems kind of high. Yes, um, but I think we're multi. Mul- I think most people u- use a computer. Most people um, use a computer and a phone and are doing something else. And to tell you the truth. Um, Phones can be kind of intrusive. They could be demanding on your time right then and there. Uh, and that's why people had answering machines, you know, taped answering machines for their home phones. And that's why some people screen their calls. They're like, oh, I'll let it go to voicemail, and then I'll, I'll answer it if it's important. Text messaging allows people to do that much easier these days. And I think that's that's where we are as, the, as we... Um, move past the baby boomers. Yeah, personally, I, I've never been one for talking on the phone. I mean, Skype is the closest I come to talking on the phone for any extended period of time. Um, it, I, I've just never really cared for it. It's too, it's too inconvenient. I can't really, a lot of times, decide. It's like, okay, you're interrupting me with whatever I'm doing right now. I don't necessarily want to deal with whatever it is you're bugging me about at the particular moment, but perhaps five minutes from now I will. So, I mean, unless it's certain people where I think the call is generally important, I'll usually let it go over to voicemail and deal with it later. But yeah, I generally prefer people to, if they're going to get a hold of me on my phone, I suppose do it via text message, but really I'd say email is probably the best way to get a decent response out of me within a reasonable amount of time. Right, and, and and I guess this is also depends on when you talk about how people get reached. Um, if if someone's saying, "Hey, there, um, there's a, a happy hour after work today. Would you like to come?" Yes, I would love to have that in a text message. Mm-hmm. If someone said, "Hey, your mom's in a hospital," I'd prefer a phone call. Uh, so, it, it, I think that. Mentally, a lot of us have compartmentalized what medium's best for what type of communication, uh-huh. and and they like to have things segmented out that that way. So when someone gives me a call, I feel it almost makes me disappointed or angry when it's not at that level of importance. Where hey, my my credit card's been compromised and they need my authorization or something like that. Then yeah, give me a call. Yeah, for stuff um, like that, if it, call me. Otherwise, don't just make it in some form that I can get back to it when it's most convenient to me. I mean, if you want to chit-chat, that's fine. Just let's do it at a time when I'm not particularly busy. 
Yeah, exactly. So that's why I think this 31 number is, is extremely accurate. Um, and I think if you, depending on how you phrase this question about, let's say your mom died, <laughs> God forbid, or you know, a, a parent died, uh, how would you like to receive that news via text or via phone call? That 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 might be where I, how that could change the the results of the survey. Now, all that that's one of the t- cases where I, no matter what, I definitely want to be called because I don't want to have to worry about like autocorrect screwing up the message or something like that. And like instead of saying my mother's dead or whatever, it would say something like my mother's gone to Vegas or something. I, I don't want to have to yeah. worry about something strange like that happening and me getting the wrong message. I, yeah, I spend exactly. way too much time on autocorrect.com. <laughs> yeah, and plus you want more details than maybe that's fast, and you might want them faster than someone can type them out. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So, I mean, so the 31%, I think it's probably plus or minus a good percentage depending on how you phrase the question. Yeah. I think if you said, hey, if someone's talking about a party or talking about meeting up this weekend or some other future event, something less time-sensitive – I, I think that number could actually increase sig- significantly, maybe double to 62% or somewhere in the 60%. But it, I think it also would shrink dramatically if we're talking about, you know, like an emergency situation. So well, it all depends on, on how they worded the survey. Yeah. One of the things that I found most interesting was the, but with this Pew survey, which of course is, tends to be our favorite research group. Uh, Half the laser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that apparently with adults between 18 and 24, they text message on average uh, almost 110 times a day. Yeah. That seems insanely high. I mean, if I do more than maybe 15 a day, it's amazing. Yeah, and I wonder how much, it, uh, when they say text message a day, I wonder if that's sending and receiving combined and not just sending. Well, the way they have this worded here is that's just sending, but when it looks at the average use phone user, it says sending or receiving, and that and that particular average is 50 a day, which even that I, still seems a little high. Then again, I guess I just don't like to communicate with people outside of Twitter or whatever. Oh, true, yes. That's uh, probably a Twitter statement, uh, people who aren't on it, and also people who keep... Um, keep try to keep up with a larger group of friends, mm-hmm. um, like a Twitter equivalent, but text messaging. Yeah, I I don't have that many friends that I text message all that often or even talk to all that often. I like basically count them on one hand. So I guess I'm probably. But if you combine, if, but if you combine Skype, Facebook, uh, GChat, uh, Twitter, all those. And then move those to text messages. I bet you'd probably get approached this number. Mm, yeah, probably. Although in my case, most of my Twitter messages is they're usually in regards to blog posts on Global Geek News because I have a specific schedule that I stick to for when I tweet certain posts or whatever at certain times, and I never really, I don't. Um, communicate on it as much as I used to. I mean, I'll still check it several times a day, and I'll tweet people randomly, but I'm not on it like I used to be. Although, if you looked at the number of tweets that I send, just because of all the ones that I have scheduled, which generally go out about every half an hour, 
um, at the top and bottom of the hour. Uh, I would say that if you looked at how many tweets I've been sending lately, my usage would appear to be up. But in mm-hmm. real, in reality, it's not if you're looking at the amount of time that I spend with it. So. True, but with Gchat also, like Facebook, I, Google Plus, I mean, all those? I've never used G t- Gchat. Um, Facebook, I rarely use just because I hate their chat tools. I, I'm pretty much only on there to... Um, post on the Global Geek News fan page, which is now at 187 fans, by the way. Um, basically, new posts, which I generally try and do that every two or three hours or so. And that's and then I'll usually check to see what people's status is up to, but that's usually all I really mess with Facebook. I've kind of gotten tired of it, and I've never really taken any time to spend any significant amount of time on Google+. I've I don't really have the interactions there that I care for, I guess. Okay. All right. That means I'll have to text you more to make up for that. Yeah, I, I guess I'm just an antisocial person, I suppose. <laughs> but um, Anyway, speaking of interesting studies, or, well, not necessarily a study, but interesting statistics, apparently science and engineering PhDs, at least in the UK, are getting ready to drop by more than a third. Yeah, and I'm not surprised with all the budget cuts. There's a lot of uh, lack of need uh, to get more people to work on more projects. Yeah, apparently this all pretty much has to do with um, government-funded science and engineering PhDs, which I didn't realize that the government funded that kind of stuff. But I guess they're re- trying to reduce it by... 36% or about 7,000 students or no, from 10,900 PhD students to 7,000 by 2013, which, I don't know, I'm not sure, I can't decide really where I fall on this. I mean, I've gotten to the point where I really put no stock whatsoever in degrees, so I, I'm kind of like almost glad for this, but at the same time, if you're somebody living in the UK that was hoping to get one of these, yeah, it kind of sucks, but... I, I don't know. I, I I guess I'm just gotten to the point where, with so much knowledge and stuff on the internet, there's really no purpose to have like these these degrees and educational institutions and stuff. Well, the biggest thing about PhDs is that they're required to do research and they're required to uh, actually try to further the body of knowledge uh, that they're studying in. So lack of PhDs means there's lot, lack of diversity in the study of in the, the whatever discipline that they're in. So generally, uh, it is a blow to the world because they're not putting stuff on the internet that weren't there before. Uh, I think we talk about like IBM and um, all these new circuits and circuits designs and new lithography or or these new breakthroughs with LEDs or lasers. Usually that's done via university or a company by PhD students or a conjunction with some sort of uh, doctoral program. So this this will affect us in some ways, um, but this is also um, one of those things where if there's a strong enough need in any specific area, I feel that that, um, we'll still have advances there because wherever there's a need, uh, there will be funding. Yeah, I, th- I think wherever there's the need, there will be 
funding or at least people that are willing to give their time to do stuff. I mean, I, it seems like most of the interesting information or projects that I see or startups or whatever aren't from people that are in some sort of educational institution doing it because they're getting educational funding to do it or whatever. It's generally hobbyists that just have a love for the particular subject. It, it seems like those are the ones that not only do I want to work with the most or um, I'm most interested in their projects and whatever, but it seems like they're the ones that are um, have the mind to be able to expand something and take it to the next level and find out new stuff or do something new that no one's ever done before. True. I mean, I mean, we're talking about, but we're talking about some serious science that you that it might be hard for a hobbyist to get their hands on some of the material and some of the equipment that may needed needed to get some of the information. That being said, there was an article uh, posted about how um, some gamers figured out a new way of, fold, of folding uh, the AIDS protein uh, and unpacking it to a way that they might design more better drugs i to, saw the to, headline to, but i didn't read that yeah. story yeah so the, the, there's there's two extremes of one one side there's there's research and there's data and and crunching that data and and i agree that you might not need the 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 the, the phd to crunch the data and to analyze it but to actually generate the data you might need the equipment and infrastructure um, but this also just might mean that uh, for the research that I was talking about before, maybe they're done by undergrad students instead of uh, graduate students, uh, and or maybe there be a there will be a school just for doing the research um, from people off the street. Like I'm sure, have you heard? I'm sure you've heard of the um, the MIT. I believe it's MIT. I could be wrong. Um, how they're uh, opening up classes for artificial intelligence for anyone on the web. Oh, I, I'm actually signed up for that. I want to say it's Stanford. I need to... Yeah, I think you're right. Stanford, not MIT. Yeah, I'm actually signed up for that class when it starts in October. I think last I knew they had interest of over 100,000 people that were wanting to sign up for that class, which is insane. Yeah, someone someone who's interested in that, they're taking people from any level. So it's the same thing with some of this research. research. Maybe you don't need to have a PhD to do it. Mm-hmm. Maybe you just have to have an extreme interest and be self-motivated to find out uh, what you need to know to, 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 to push the boundaries uh, of that specific discipline, which we're talking about science and technology and engineering. Um so this is, but also this also could be like an ebb and flow. I mean, everyone was rich. Now there's a global depression, and now it's catching up to us. Uh, but there also might be a boon in the future in which, um, you know, this number could be doubled in a couple of years and 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 be reverse of what they're thinking of. Yeah, hope hopefully it won't create any kind of slowdown in research because I really want to see some inorganic life. <laughs> oh, which brings us to our next story, where people are playing God. <laughs> yeah, this kind of seems like fun. It seems like fun, and it seems like scary. This reminds me of one of those giant facilities where they have all of the 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 killer viruses that if it got released into the population would just wreak havoc, like Ebola virus and all this, like, the smallpox. Uh-huh. Um, that seems like this this could be on that level. 
Yeah, I'll admit there's certain a certain scary aspect to it, but at the same time, this seems kind of really cool. But apparently, some research, yeah. some researchers are looking at essentially building their own life that isn't organic, just to see kind of if they can really do it for the most part. Which I, I I love this idea, but I think it need it requires a certain type of security. Like maybe you should do this on the International Space Station, <laughs> or maybe on the moon base. Uh, but the, the biggest the biggest question mark is we don't know what they'll form, uh, what the formation will be. Of course, we don't expect sentient life. Or uh, anything complex. Well, they're uh, saying but, they're going to work on stuff that is capable of self-replicating and evolving, just like organic yeah. life. Which is scary. And uh, who knows? Maybe we can unnaturally accelerate it. So maybe we can get something more interesting and more complex in a shorter period of time that would occur naturally. Uh, so this has a whole bunch of possibilities. And of course, when we're talking about self, self-forming self and self-replicating and self-evolving, uh, we could see some things that we might have never have thought of for different types of applications. So the science of this is extremely, extremely interesting and I think actually is on some level uh, necessary. Mm-hmm. But I just hope that whoever does this takes the care that 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 um, takes the care that is needed to make sure that this doesn't ever get out into the wild. Yeah, I and mean, one of the thing the things that they highlight in this particular article is some possible uses, like in medicine and chemical reactions and stuff like that. But to me, it seems more interesting as far as if we can create inorganic life. What does that say about the possibility of inorganic life in other places in the cosmos? True. I, I, yeah. I would say that if we can do that, that we can kind of open our definition of possible places in the universe that can have life that where they don't have to necessarily be organic. That is a very good point. I didn't even think about that. Um, it's like when we found out, like, found out about extremophiles. Uh, life that grows in the deep dark portions of the earth that we didn't think anything would grow in like uh, no light or extremely uh, poisonous uh, atmospheres or or uh, kind of like uh, what we talked about the that that was arsenic life that we found the other day or uh, on Mars or some other planet uh, I think that was like in the it, desert or something in California I think yeah desert yeah desert uh, and how it just changes the definition. This is actually something that could be a footnote in that too. Yeah, that, I think it, that's probably the most interesting aspect of it from the way I look at it. I mean, yeah, it'd be cool to have some nanobots or something like that could, that could maybe be crawling around inside me, healing me all the time or something. But um, yeah, I'm more more interested in the space aspect of stuff. But hopefully, these scientists from Scotland can come up with something really cool. Yeah, I look forward uh, to, to, to whatever they develop, uh, just as long as they keep us informed and keep us safe. Well, speaking of keeping people informed, Microsoft is keeping people informed on Windows 8, finally. Kind of. Yeah, yeah, they're slowly releasing information and releasing a build. I, I think this is 
uh, it seemed like a tease before when they were talking about their um, uh, the release of their blog. But uh, after the build uh, conference, I think they actually are, are fulfilling their their promise on making sure that we know what's coming up. Yeah, I, I was when I first when they first um, made the blog post a couple of months ago, showing off the interface where it was primarily a tablet interface with what felt like the regular desktop just kind of tacked on on the back. Um, I was less than thrilled about that. But after watching the two days worth of keynotes last week from Microsoft's build conference and seeing a little bit of Windows 8, I'm not quite as scared. I I think there's some things about the desktop, like the start menu, that have changed a little bit too much for my liking. Because as somebody who prefers to be on a desktop more than a tablet, that's probably where I'll be spending most of my time. Mm -hmm. But um, from what I've seen, there are some registry hacks or whatever to return it to how Windows 7 looks. So I guess it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I'm kind of curious if the enterprise builds of Windows 8 will have the Metro UI at all. Um, From my understanding, that's going to be the primary UI, and then you can just for whatever it is, and then you can switch over to the traditional desktop if you want. But it sounds like a consumer statement, not necessarily an enterprise statement. Yeah, I don't know. If, from my understanding, it's that's just the way it's going to be for everything, but I, I don't know. I'm That's one of the things that really concerned me when I originally saw this, when they um, showed it off for the first time a couple of months ago. I thought, okay, why would we be forcing something like this on the enterprise where most of these people are going to be sitting at their desktops all day long typing away in Excel or whatever. Why would they care about it having a tablet interface for a start menu? Yeah. Um, I mean, don't get yeah, me wrong, well, I love the Metro I mean, interface, but, but... Yeah, I figure we'll get an answer to that question when they tell us what flavors the OS is going to come in. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see just how many different kinds we're going to have because i mean in the past we've always had like home home premium professional business um ultimate i'm kind of curious to see how many different flavors of it they're going to actually have this time i'm hoping they'll simplify it some yeah and there's talk about the x86 running on 64-bit and 32-bit i was really hoping to get rid of 32-bit os Totally. I was kind of surprised. Um, they they do have the developer preview up the store. You can download it now. I think it's at like dev.windows.com or something like that. A store you can get the 32-bit, a 64-bit, and then a 64-bit with dev tools. And I'm actually kind of glad that they do have a 32-bit because they do have a netbook that I is probably what I'm going to install it on just to play with it. And unfortunately, it's only 32-bit, which is really annoying. Mm-hmm. So, but that's the play on. But like, when you buy a brand new computer, are you buying one that's going to have a 32-bit OS? Huh. Well, <coughs> and I don't know. They haven't mentioned anything, but I remember. Oh, it's probably been a year or two ago. It wasn't too long after they had shipped Windows 7. Actually, now I think about it, where they had a job listing for somebody to do 128-bit stuff, as to where everybody assumed that Windows 8 would be 128-bit compatible, yet there's no mention mm-hmm. of that in here. There's no mention of any of the chip manufacturers doing anything 128-bit, so I'm wondering if maybe 
they're just saying, okay, 64 bits fine for now, and we don't have to worry about anything bigger than that for some time yet. Yeah. Um, it's, it's still, there's still a lot of questions uh, about Windows 8. Um, but I can say at least it looks like they're trying to address some of the concerns of critics about uh, Windows not being touch-worthy or not ready for a tablet or a device. Um, but also gives the feeling that they're trying to satisfy too many people by uh, totally not abandoning the desktop side and also uh, keeping the tablet side. I probably would prefer if they actually had another OS. That, that's uh, what I would prefer call- as well. Yeah, don't call it Windows 8. Call the desktop Windows 8 and call... Um, the tablet version. And call the, like Windows yeah. 8 tablet or something like that. Or not even use the word Windows. I would prefer if they take the word Windows out of it. Yeah, call it to, the Metro to, to, tablet to or something. Exactly. Metro by Microsoft. Yeah, I, And then and leave it at that. Yeah, I think that's probably the way they should do it. But then again, they've never been one to listen to me yet, so... Right, um, and 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 because we're talking about tiles here, we're not talking about Windows. <laughs> when you look at Windows Phone, there are no Windows on Windows Phone. Yeah, I, I think it's time that maybe they kind of get rid of the. Win- I know that there's still a lot of money behind the Windows name, but I'm starting to wonder if it's maybe time to get rid of that because that's we're not really talking too much about Windows anymore. You are on the desktop, yeah. but not on a tablet. And one of the things that really concerns me about the tablet is they were showing off a lot of really awesome things, whether it's just from a user experience perspective or from a developer's perspective, which there are some really awesome stuff there. But one of the things that concerns me is with the tablet-type interface being the main interface, and from my understanding, this the regular desktop is supposed to be like technically like an app that you can launch to get your mm-hmm. all your normal stuff back to kind of where you are used to it. Um, it looked like some of the actions aren't necessarily intuitive for like some mm-hmm. of the gestures and stuff. It's like, okay, I don't think I would ever necessarily think to stick my finger at the bottom of the screen and go up and move it upwards to pull up a partic- uh, particular menu or whatever. It just seems like there's some aspects of it that just aren't very intuitive if you don't know what you're doing, which I think is going to be kind of off-putting to a lot of people that aren't aren't very good with computers that are struggling to understand Windows as it is. Yeah. I'm also concerned about uh, unified messaging um, and uh, persistence of apps. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, if I have an email client in the Metro UI and an email client in the traditional UI, uh, are there if, if if I install the traditional one, can it install an equivalent one on the Metro side and vice versa? Uh, if I get a, a, a message uh, and I'm in the Windows desktop traditional, but um, my email client is only in the Metro, will I will that app still be running in the background for me to get messages or IMs or Twitter messages or whatever? Um, where do I go to configure? Uh, my networking. I mean, is it going to be in more of a, U, a, a traditional UI for networking, or do I need to go to Metro to do that? Uh, so it seems like I'm, I would have to be juggling two different operating systems on one computer, and 
and manage how they talk to each other, which sounds like I'm running like the Metro stuff. It almost seems like it's in the VM. Like you launch a VM to get into it, and uh, and the traditional is just the regular, and that's why I think it's it it sounds like two operating systems. So I think they should physically remove them. Yeah, I I think they should definitely keep them separate. I, I think that's yeah. one is one of the things that's going to confuse a lot of people. It's like okay, I can do this here, but I can't do it over there. Like one of the things that has been a big topic of conversation on the blogs over the past week, ever since things were kind of announced was that the internet explorer in metro mm-hmm. although it's going to have the same um, browser engine as the regular internet explorer that we're all used to or in this case i think it'll be like ie 11 or whatever um right if you're in metro there's no plugins allowed so no flash um, I presume no Silverlight too, since I think Silverlight's a plug-in. But then again, since that's Microsoft's own thing, who knows? Um, nothing like that. But if you do want Flash and stuff like that, you can move over to the regular traditional desktop view and use IE there, and then you can use it. Which that just seems strange. Right. And, and that's <laughs> one of the things that really kind of worries me because I'm a big LastPass user. So right. having LastPass integrated to, into my browsers, whether it's Firefox or Opera or whatever, which those are the two main ones I use, just kind of depending on what operating system on, I'm on, because Opera sucks on the Mac. Not that it's perfect on Windows either, but um, that that's the one thing that's kind of like my must-have for everything, because without that, I don't know most of my passwords. And if I can't get that in the metro interface then i'm probably almost never going to be using the metro interface well you maybe you just won't use internet explorer in the metro interface because uh, i'm guessing that this doesn't restrict firefox opera even chrome from working in the metro interface and allowing their plugins to work um I, I think what they're worried about is some of the interactions on the metro interface for instance we t- we t- talked about flash before uh, on portable devices, and Flash doesn't really have finger support. So maybe they just want to avoid that whole problem by um, not allowing plugins. And also, it'll make it a more secure browsing experience not to have plugins. That being said, uh, you can still have plugins probably in Firefox for the Metro OS, I mean, Metro UI. And to tell you the truth, that would probably be my preferred browser over Internet Explorer uh, on any form it comes in. Yeah, I, I don't use. Internet Explorer, I avoid it whenever possible. So there, there seems to be a lot of websites where it's like real slow with or causes issues or whatever. So generally speaking, I stick to Opera. If Opera's giving me issues or whatever, then I fall back to Firefox and I never use Chrome. But I, I don't really see that there's going to be very many web browser creators, whether it's Opera, Mozilla, Google, whoever, that are actually going to spend the money to make a Metro version when they've already got a desktop version that people can just switch over to the desktop interface and use. Yeah, well, that goes to the question of how they're going to structure their um, Microsoft Store, um, how how hard it would be how hard it would be to get stuff in there. Um, 
and how profitable it is and what kind of margins. It might be more profitable just to be in the store. And it, the margins might be better for the Metro apps as opposed to the traditional x86 apps. I, I don't know. Th there's a lot of things they can do, a lot of work that they can put in to make to, to nudge whatever they want on this platform. Yeah, and one of the biggest um, things that almost kind of scares me is the fact that Windows 8 is going to have ARM support, which I think is great, but they're also saying mm -hmm. that um, ARM, you can't run x86 apps on ARM. So I think that's probably going to really annoy a lot of people if uh, the manufacturers of whatever software they're wanting to use don't make an ARM version. So they go over to their desktop view and can't use their favorite browser or game or whatever it is. I think... Right, and they're... So good? I think that could be a real big issue that causes a big headache for them. Yeah, and they were also saying that ARM systems aren't necessarily tablet-only systems. So you can get a laptop that looks like a regular laptop and have an ARM processor in it. So you can't even go by looks. You have to look at specs. Yeah, it, I think that's probably going to be where the biggest point of confusion co ends up coming from is because of ARM. Mm-hmm. But which, yeah, and we'll see how they manage that. Mm -hmm. um, once again, if we had, if there was a separate, separate OS name for that, mm -hmm. then we w we wouldn't have to deal with this. But uh, that's they've chosen to combine both. We'll see if that was the smartest thing ever or the stupidest thing ever. Yeah, it sounds like they're all kind of sticking with Windows 8 for everything. They're not really saying, okay, Windows 8 for ARM, Windows 8 for x86, Windows 8 for x86-64. It seems like they're not really saying anything about how they're going to separate those or whatever. And I think that if they stick with that strategy come whenever this releases, which supposedly they're sticking with the same release uh, model that they use for Windows 7, which would put Windows 8 coming out somewhere around next fall. Um, I think they could end up with a lot of confusion and a lot of people just saying, screw this, I'm going over to Apple. Yeah. Uh, which... Especially, yeah. Or they could when, end up with a whole other Windows XP debacle where 10 years from now people are still going to be stuck on Windows 7. Yeah, true. Yeah, I totally see that going. When people saying, "Oh, I need to buy a new computer," like, what's that? No, no, no. no. I just need a new computer. I don't want that. Whatever that is. Well, I, uh, how I, do I turn that off? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'll probably have Windows 8 on at least one of my machines, but I've got a feeling that I'm probably going to be one of those people that 10 years from now will be clinging to Windows 7. Yeah, I hope they introduce some sort of technology uh, other than the OS. Um, maybe some NFC uh, built into the hardware, or maybe uh, Windows 8 will have geolocation built in, so laptops can be smarter, uh, just like cell phones are, um, about certain services that are available. I am not sure, but um, they have to offer or enable some sort of technology that moves moves us forward. Uh, it says that you know, like DirectX 
X, DirectX, sorry, DirectX 11, mm-hmm. uh, is only was only available with Windows 7. And if you wanted to take advantage of that, you had to move to Windows 7, for instance. Uh, I, w- I want something, even that wasn't terribly too compelling and people still were able to drag their feet on that. I, I want something like that for Windows 8. Yeah, being a hardcore, a hardcore gamer, that was a big selling point for me. So, yeah, maybe with any luck, maybe they'll announce DirectX 12 for Windows 8 only or something like that. That might get me to switch at least my main computer. But yeah. Otherwise, I think I'm probably going to be taking a wait-and-see approach. I'll probably still, maybe this weekend, stick the developer preview on one of my netbooks. I, I've One of them, the one that's 32-bit that I know is 32-bit, has Ubuntu on it, which needs upgraded to the latest version anyway, so I might wipe it off, put Windows 8 on it for a few days and try it out. But, um, yeah, I'll certainly check it out, but it's at this point, I'm not sold. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm not sold, but I'm still intrigued. I think there's hope. It all depends on where... Um, I just need more. I need more information. Yeah, I think we're. I, I guess for a developer preview, they've said a lot, especially on the developer end of things. But there's still a lot of unanswered questions. Agreed. So, anyway, we're running really late compared to our usual hour or so, or what used to be our usual seven months ago. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this was episode ninety-five. I think I forgot to mention of the Global Geek News podcast. For those who want to. Go back and listen to the other 93 episodes, technically, because there was one lost episode in there. But, um, yeah, I don't know if when the next time we'll do one. I don't know if this is going to start going back to a weekly thing or if this is just going to be kind of a once-in-a-while type of thing, like a once-a-month kind of thing, or who knows? It's just kind of felt in the mood to do something. So... Otherwise, until then, everybody can, of course, check out globalgeeknews.com, where you can find all kinds of amazing geek culture-related things. Um, just today, I posted, let's see, there's an, some amazing, incredible Hulk cosplay. Some guy from, apparently, the I think it's the Montreal Comic-Con, dressed up as like an eight-foot version of the Incredible Hulk, which is awesome. Um, some Call of Duty Black Ops cosplay that I've seen floating around for several weeks now. I just got around to posting it. Some web icon birthday cupcakes that are kind of cool. It's also software icons, too. Uh, A little bit of binary humor. And uh, what was... There's one other post that was kind of like the main post of the day. Because I do five posts every day, Monday through Friday. Once in a while I take a day off, but not regularly. But... Yeah, for those that basically, if you like anything geeky, whether it's gaming, sci-fi, whatever, you definitely want to check out globalgeeknews.com. Also check out my other new site, which I just realized I forgot to kind of update last week, fanboyfashion.com, which is essentially pretty much the same thing that Global Geek News is, except it sticks strictly to things that geeks tend to wear, more like geeky clothing, accessories, cosplay, that kind of stuff, whereas Global Geek News is just kind of all over the place when it comes to geek stuff. So, oh, yeah, the other post that I had for today was that somebody turned a Red Ring of Death Xbox 360 into an old arcade controller. Definitely worth checking out. But, of course, you can find the show notes for this show and all the other podcasts going back to episode... I think episode one... uh, 
at globalgeeknews.com. And, of course, you can always follow me at on Twitter, at PCNerd37. Wesley is still at Wesley83. And yep. you still doing much of anything with uh, WesleyFaulkner.com? Yeah, I still post there. Uh, I had a post uh, the other day that I did from my airplane last Thursday um, about my thoughts on people and being rude. <laughs> yeah, I, I seem to encounter those people every day. That seems to be one of the things around here is that there's pretty much only rude people that I could just as easily drop kick off a speeding train without a second thought. But <laughs> um, yeah, I highly encourage everybody to check out WesleyFaulkner.com. It's you're always posting some pretty cool stuff there. I, I noticed the frequency kind of dropped off there for a little while. Of, of posts, but yeah, I, I don't think there's anything that you've posted on there that it hasn't been really interesting. Well, I try. Um, so it, it it may not be as regular as it as it uh, as it used to be, but I'm trying to work on that. I think Google Plus has taken a lot of my time. Yeah, well, yeah, you still got a ways to go to compete with me, where I'm doing five posts a day, five days a week, so 25 posts a week on Global Geek News. Plus, I'm doing like one post a day trying to over at Fanboy Fashion, so I'm doing 30 blog posts a week. You've got a ways to catch up to me. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's uh, it's quite the um, time suck for me, that's for sure. But anyway, I guess that will do it for episode 95 of the Global Geek News Podcast, and thanks for to everybody for checking us out. Hope you enjoy the show. If you want to see us do more shows, by all means, let us know. And we will see you guys the next time we do this. Later. Later. <laughs>